And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. Of course, it's the second best day of the week as we get uh, the Thursday edition of The Real Investment Show underway. Of course, Michael Ewood's joining us this morning to talk all about the Fed. So we'll go through everything the Fed did yesterday, hiking rates, and of course, uh, creating the most volatile 90 minutes of the market in market history. Um, immediately after the rate hike announcement yesterday, stocks actually surged up about 30 points or so, um, and then... Powell spoke and <laughs> the markets ended down almost uh, over 2% yesterday. So a very wild swing in that last 90 minutes of the markets yesterday. Um, there is no really good news to point out of this. We broke yesterday back through the 50-day moving average. We broke through support at 3,800. We're now testing the 20-day moving average. Uh, that's going to be on the agenda this morning. Dow currently pointing down about 150 points. Uh, Nasdaq's down 87. S&P's down about 23. Now, this is futures at the moment. So maybe we'll get a little bit of a, a bounce this morning. We'll see. But again, the sell-off yesterday pretty much puts this entire rally that we've been in for the last four weeks at risk. And uh, again, you know, one of the, the big challenges here is now as we head into the, to the end of year, we have a lot of uh, portfolio managers, uh, of course, as well as retail investors holding on to a lot of cash at the moment, um, you know, because they've been selling stuff and now they've got cash. What happens with that? And, and of course, you know, this, this whole rally that we've talked about uh, to sell into and, you know, we had sold some stuff a little bit earlier this week. You know, this is this is the threat here, um, of course. And we've talked about this issue before is that, you know, a lot of this was going to hinge on both the Fed as well as the midterm election outcome, which is next Tuesday. So potentially we might get a little bit of reprieve from the selling next week after the midterm elections. If we start to see a gridlocked um, you know, kind of Congress, that may help bode a little bit well here in the short term. We also move into the holidays after that. So trading is going to get fairly light here fairly quick. So uh, again, you know, to yesterday's action, not positive really on any front. Um, if there's any signs of really kind of good news, I guess, out of, out of the action, we've had a very long stretch of stocks making new lows. That is something that you don't historically see that can, A, last for very long. I mean, just once you start getting a, a large majority of your stocks making new lows, you're starting to ring out a lot of sellers in the markets. And again, that's, that's one of the real questions here is that, you know, we've done a lot of selling. Um, th there's been a lot of selling pressure on markets. Valuations have come down markedly for stocks. And the question is really just how much more is there left to continue to ring out uh, of these stocks? And of course, you know, you can make an argument either way, depending on what your view is. Um, but going back to what we talked about the other day, while, you know, the markets are under pressure and it's certainly a, a very, you know, kind of draining environment at this point emotionally, Mar you know, it's, it's important to keep some perspective here, though, as well. Uh, stocks really haven't done anything now uh, for the last several months. In fact, we just kind of keep going back and retesting these lows that we set back in June. The question is going to be whether or not they're going to continue to hold here. That's, you know, this is going to be the big challenge as we look forward. But again, it's important to keep things in perspective. Uh, markets have just really kind of, you know, worked within this range uh, of just kind of going sideways. We've broken out to the upside of it. We've broken to the downside of it. But ultimately, we kind of keep coming back and just forming this kind of base in the market market 
that has been continuing just to, to provide some support. So uh, again, you know, it's not that, you know, you shouldn't be cautious of this environment. Markets can certainly break lower from here as we go into next year. But again, just important to keep a little bit of perspective about what's really going on so we don't make uh, you know, a lot of emotionally based decisions in portfolios because that's very easy to do. But importantly, you know, again, as we take a look at the markets itself, you know, it's, that's the overall market. Internally, there's a lot of stuff that's, that's really happening. A lot of stocks are making new lows. Companies are getting hit fairly hard here. Uh, a lot of selling, you know, this earnings season has not been great for companies and is something that we had talked about previously is that expectations were too high. Those expectations and those forward expectations for earnings are now coming down very quickly for a lot of these companies. So uh, again, as we've, as we've talked about and warned about, as these expectations were coming in, companies are, have been mi- missing earnings, missing revenue growth, and they've been punished very hard for that. This has been one of the most brutal earning seasons for companies uh, really in recent memory where the punishment rate for a stock that, meets, uh, that misses sales and, and or earnings or both um, has been fairly brutal. Stocks, you know, down 15, 20%. You know, we saw that with Meta and other companies as well. You know, they missed earnings, missed revenue, or just gave poor guidance. And these stocks are down 10, 15, 20% the next day. So again, a lot of volatility in this market in terms of individual names, a lot of, you know, a lot of downward pressure on portfolios really kind of across the board. And, and this is this is where it gets it, it gets really challenging, you know, for, for investors. Um, Outside of that, some other interesting news. Uh, Elon Musk, of course, taking over Twitter uh, on Friday has now announcing as much as 50% of the Twitter workforce, that's about 3,500 employees, will be fired. Um, so this is going to be a really interesting you know, aspect that comes out of this. Uh, again, you know, it's interesting. He's, he's done a couple of things lately, and this makes complete sense. First of all, um, I was doing Charles Payne on um, Wednesday, and he asked me, he says, Lance, you don't have a blue check mark. Why don't you have a blue check mark? Well, I applied for a blue check mark years ago, right? Couldn't get one. Uh, never would give it to me because basically I was doing political talk back then and they didn't like the fact we did conservative politics. So they wouldn't give us a blue check mark. It's okay. But now they're going to charge, Elon Musk is now going to charge $8 a month. If you want to maintain your blue check mark, that's awesome. It's going to cost you eight bucks a month. Now the question is going to how many people are going to actually pay eight bucks a month just to maintain a blue check on their on their Twitter page, right? That's going to be the question. But you know, this is this is the challenge that Elon Musk is now going to face with Twitter since he took it private. And the question that Charles Payne asked me is like, well, why is this a good idea? It's like, yeah, he's got to do something here because now that he's taking the company private, right? He overpaid for this company to start with, paid forty four billion for it, whatever the number was. Well, that was based on market capitalization and valuation. So that was what investors were attributing the value of the company to be. $44 billion is a lot for a social media company, right? Just in terms of value. So he overpaid for this company in terms of market capital valuation, took it private. So now the company has to be worth $44 billion all on its own. And that means you don't get that outside benefit from public investors. So he's got to cut costs. He's got to create revenue streams outside of advertising as well. And of course, the the liberal left now that pretty much dominates the majority of Twitter. You know, they're they're doing their campaign to get advertisers to quit advertising on Twitter to try to get you know people to turn away from Twitter. Uh, you know, so this is this is going to be a real challenge here for Elon Musk to as a private company to make this actually just a profitable 
company. Now, eventually, um, he'll take this company back public again because in order to get that valuation back out, right, to try to, to, try to take $44 billion and try to make some money on it, you're going to have to go back out public, be a public company, get that market capitalization premium uh, for the company at that time. So again, but in the meantime, if he can turn this company around, make it profitable, um, create new new streams of revenue for it, grow its uh, grow its advertising base as grow as well as grow its users base, which is what he's trying to do, and then takes it back public. He can certainly turn around, make some money on Twitter. But first first order, of course, though is to get rid of all the bloated overhead. And one of the interesting things about the layoffs that he's doing is that he's one of the metrics they're using to look at these layoffs is how much did you actually contribute to the code of Twitter? Um, and also, if you've been working remotely and want to keep your job, yeah, you have to start going back to the office. So, you know, this is, this is a new trend for companies. Come back to work if you want to keep your job. All right, we got a lot of stuff to get into this morning with the Fed. Jerome Powell, of course, really just throwing cold water over the initial Fed announcement yesterday, but made some interesting comments about QE and zero rates. And we'll talk about that as well. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. The end of the year is fast approaching. What will the new year bring? Join Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff, and Lance Roberts for our year-end economic review special event Tuesday, November 15th. How to address higher taxes in the new year. Should you delay your retirement in 2023? What will the midterm elections mean for markets? Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our year-end economic review special event with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So interesting story uh, very quickly about the World Series and the Phillies last night. So the Astros had a no-hitter last night. First no-hitter in a World Series since October 8th, 1956. So pretty amazing turnaround after a 7-0 shutout in the last game. But one of the interesting things, and if you don't live in the Houston area, everybody that lives in Houston knows Mattress Mac, right? He is uh, uh, Mac McInville has been a uh, Houston icon for decades now. Big contributor to a variety of great organizations, a big supporter of, of Houston charities, a big supporter of Houston sports, right? Whether it's football, baseball, et cetera. And what he's known for is making these kind of wild bets on, I shouldn't say wild bets, these are very calculated bets on outcomes. And the, the, the stick is basically, hey, come to my furniture store and buy a bunch of furniture and there's a limit so you have to buy in this case it's the Stearns and Fosters or some mattress uh, that he has at Mattress Mac um, buy $3,000 worth of a mattress and if the Astros win the World Series if they win it all you get your furniture for free right and this and he's done this multiple times multiple times he's done this for football games and a whole variety of other things but these are calculated bets and of course yes he has insurance just in case things go wrong but uh, this year, Mattress Mac now has a $10 million bet that the Astros are going to win the World Series. So he is into this $10 million deep this year. Um, so he won $15 million on the last bet, by the way. So he's only kind of gambling with house money. But, 
you know, this is this is just kind of very interesting, and it's, and it's two games up right now. So this is you know the best of five series out of seven games, and and the Astros going into this had a ninety four percent probability of winning the World Series. So now that it's two up, I'm not sure those odds are at the same level anymore, but we'll see. But yeah, ten million dollars bet on this, so we'll see. We'll see how he does. But again, he has insurance. Don't don't yeah. worry. Yeah, it's, even if he lost all ten million, he's fine, right? <laughs> he's made millions of dollars selling furniture. And, and, and again, if you don't know the story, he he sold it off a where out of a warehouse on the side of I forty five in like one of the worst neighborhoods. He has built this massive furniture empire. Um, out of this one warehouse. Man, so, it's a palace now. It is. It is. It's he is done gorgeous. It's still in the worst part of Houston, though. <laughs> I-45. True. <laughs> anyway, uh, so yesterday, of course, the big news, uh, the Federal Reserve coming out and uh, initially um, had come out, you know, hike 75 basis points as expected. Uh, the statement was pretty much kind of right in line with what everybody thought. And, you know, the the initial kind of view was is that this was kind of that early starting to soften the pace of rate hikes, you know, 50 basis point rate hike in December, couple in, in, Jan, uh, in the first part of 2023 at 25 basis points, pretty much online. It stocks like that and initially took off. And then Fed uh, Jerome, uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell took the, to the mic uh, in his presser, and everything went to hell in a handbasket in just a few minutes as he was making numerous statements, basically to the point that don't count out yet that we're not going to continue to be extremely aggressive on rate hikes because inflation is just still too high and we're just committed to, to hiking rates and and the markets immediately reversed on that plunged over two percent into the close yesterday again this was the most volatile 90 minutes in market history that we can find right going back so um talk more about this this morning of course michael Leibowitz. um what, what were your initial thoughts yesterday and and what do you think now I mean, uh, you know, Lance, we were talking about this earlier this week. What do we expect from Jerome Powell? And the answer was status quo. He, you know, his two big thing, his big thing is inflation. That's what the Fed is trying to do. All he keeps telling us, every, almost every Fed speaker keeps telling us they're not going to be comfortable until inflation comes down. So we look at the latest round of inflation data and it it's come down a little bit, but it's not it's not dropping like a rock. And if you look at what the Fed blames that for, they blame they put part of that blame on employment. As long as everyone can find a job and they're getting raises and you got a healthy employment market, they're going to keep spending. Companies will keep raising prices and you get this wage price spiral, which is what he's so concerned about. So you look at the latest round of labor data. That, too, is not it's it's that, you know, the unemployment rate rate is near 50 year lows. Jobless claims are up slightly, but they're not nothing concerning at all. ADP was relatively strong. That's a precursor to uh, tomorrow's BLS labor report. I think it was plus 226,000 jobs, which is better than what was average before the uh, pandemic. So your labor market is strong. Your inflation is maybe there's some signs it's coming down. There are certainly some other signs not in the official data. You know, we're seeing that rents and home prices are coming down rather sharply, which is very positive, but that's going to take a few months. So Powell did what, you know, kind of we thought he would do. He would just hold the line. 
Yes, we're going to keep raising rates. No, we're not going to pivot. And we're going to wait and see. And we're going to wait. But I thought, Lance, the interesting part, so there's about a half hour between when they released the Fed statement and when Powell speaks to the press. And after reading the press, the the statement, which just so you know, the statement is the same statement every six weeks, every Fed meeting, but they edit it. And sometimes the edits are big. Sometimes they're they're next to nothing. Sometimes it's just, you know, grammatical type changes to uh, to some words. Uh, this time they literally just added one paragraph. And that paragraph basically said there are lag effects. There's the potential for financial stability. And I think the, the statement gave the market some reason to think that the Fed was appreciating that we were you know, that there are lag effects, that what they did in April and May still hasn't even really affected the economy, and that there is some financial instability, which they have yet to truly acknowledge. So the market took that as, look, the Fed's going to stall soon, they're going to pause, and then they're going to pivot. Powell came out and said quite the opposite. He said, we run the risk that we don't tighten fast enough. We run the risk that we don't keep rates high enough for long enough. I kind of think of this as an analogy. We've been climbing this mountain of Fed rate hikes. And every time we get to the Fed meeting where the Fed reports on their progress hiking up that mountain, the market thinks they're going to hear the Fed say, we're at the top, we're going to start preparing to go down. And every time Jerome Powell says, we don't even know where the top is, we're going to keep hiking upward. Um, so, you know, again, the market fell for a, uh, the Fed's going to, the Fed understands what's going on in the United Kingdom. They understand that our stock market's down 20%. Look at Fed funds now we're priced 5%. Isn't that enough? And Jerome Powell said, no, no, inflation is still very strong. Yeah. And what was interesting, though, is he actually gave that that term. Um, he actually told right. the market what they wanted to hear, which he said, he said, look, if we over tighten, it's fine. We've got tools, which when in, and to support, he says, we've got if we over tighten, it's fine. We've got tools to support economic growth. And what that is, is that's basically the the pivot that the market's looking for. They just didn't hear it because what he's saying is, is if we hike rates too much, we're just going to hike rates, right? We're, we really have no idea what we're doing. We're just going to hike rates. <laughs> and then when something breaks, then we'll go back to zero rates in QE. We'll start buying bonds. So, you know, all, so what the Fed is now relying on is they're hoping that their tools are actually going to work the next time around as well as they've worked in the past. So maybe they will, right? Because the market is so keyed up on looking for right. this this pivot. But you know, it was interesting. Fed, you know, Powell actually said exactly what the market wanted to hear is like, oh, no, we're going to do QE and, and drop rates back to zero. We're just going to break something first, <laughs> and, you know, and that's and that's potentially coming a lot faster than what the, the Fed may think. I mean, you know, once we get past midterms, we could very well see a very sharp contraction in, in employment growth. Um, as well as a lot of negative adjustments to a lot of these employment numbers. The inflation data is already starting to uh, crack. If you take a look at, you know, rental rates, those are coming down sharply now across the country. And like you said, those are going to feed into the inflation data. That's that's almost 40% of the inflation uh, equation. That's going to feed in and start to show a fairly sharp drop in inflation. And now we're about eight months into the contraction in M2 money supply, which has a very high correlation to inflationary pressures. That is dropping like a rock as well. So over the course of the next six months, inflation is going to come down sharply as as money supply just simply comes out of the market. So, you know, one of the big risks that the Fed runs is that they break something 
that is of magnitude that they can't fix quickly. In other words, we get into a fairly deep, you know, they're hoping we just get this soft landing or maybe just a minor recession. What they're not counting on is potentially having a very deep recession uh, because they break something economically, you know, housing, credit markets, you know, et cetera. No, that's right. And uh, I, the market may do that for them. The market say, may say enough already, we're getting out. And they may force the Fed's hand to pull mm -hmm. the financial instability card and do QE pre premature to what Powell and the Fed would like them to do. Yeah. And we've seen the market forcing central bank hands before. It's nothing new. Yeah. And in fact, the Bank of England is set to announce their rate hike here just in a little bit. So we're kind of watching for that as well, because, you know, the, the, the Bank of England is the, is the one central bank outside of Bank Japan that's already been facing some risk of financial instability. Of course, we talked about previously uh, their pension funds were getting margin calls and the Bank of England had to step in and start buying longer dated maturities uh, on bonds to try to stabilize what was going on with their pension funds. They're set to now announce their next rate hike or rate decrease. So it'll be interesting to see what Bank of England does, considering that they're already kind of facing some early kind of finding you know kind of some early financial instability issues with england and, and so we'll see when that comes out we'll report that to you as well so just hang around for that uh we'll come back we'll pick up some more on okay so here's where we are uh the fed has now said all this great stuff and the market's uh down two percent yesterday we'll talk about we'll come back from the break you know kind of what happens next and and where to go to from here so all right don't go away more of the real investment show with michael lee coming right back up after the break investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com the end of the year is fast approaching what will the new year bring join richard rosso danny ratliff and lance roberts for our year-end economic review special event tuesday november 15th how to address higher taxes in the new year should you delay your retirement in 2023 what will the midterm elections mean for markets register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our year-end economic review special event with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. So apparently... Japan is set to release the first Godzilla movie in since 2016. So in quite a few years. It's apparently going to be the real life history and documentary of the Fukushima accident. So we'll see we'll see how this turns out. Art imitating life. Well, you know, the one thing about these Godzilla movies is you know you have to go back, you know, Godzilla and Rodan when we were growing up yeah. back in the, you know, the 50s and 60s and, you know, the black and white Godzilla movies. 
and they were terrible back then. They were you know, <laughs> terrible movies back then, but you know we watched them because you know they were Godzilla movies. And then they made the one with uh, uh, who was the guy from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, uh, the lead actor. Him. Oh, I can't think. Of- yeah, I'm drawing. Now I had it just a second ago. Broderick I something. Yeah, Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick. So yeah. then they made the one with him. That was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway so now they're coming out with a new one it's going to be released in theaters next year so we'll see yeah, thanks for the warning yeah <laughs> you know theaters are having a hard time getting movies to get When's traction the last time you went to a movie in a theater you know it's 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 actually been a it's been probably about a year i guess yeah and not because it's you know covid or anything like that right it's just the movies suck there's there's not been you know to, to go and, and my daughter and I love to go to movies. That's one of our mm-hmm. things that we love to do. We go, especially when like the whole Marvel movies were coming yeah, out, we were, yeah. we'd skip school and go see Marvel movies. <laughs> um, you know, so that was, but they were good movies, right? There just hasn't been any good movies coming out worth spending the money on to go to a theater. You you know, did did um, you go see Top Gun? Yeah, yeah, we did. Okay, we did, I forgot right. we did see yeah. that one. So at the theater, but that was that's the last one. I, before that, I can't tell you the last movie I saw. Yeah, we just theater. we just got out of the habit. Yeah, well, no, and again, it's it's just they're not that there hasn't been any compelling ones to go see. Now they've got the new Wakanda movie coming out. We'll see. My daughter mm. maybe wants to go see that. We'll 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 check it out. But the Marvel movies have really just they've sucked lately too. So well, you know, too sitting through a movie for two hours nonstop anymore is no fun. You can't pause it to take care of things, like you can on Netflix. You just get up and walk out and go to the bathroom. But you miss a piece <laughs> of the film. Jeez. <laughs> You're getting old, Brent. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> so gray power. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. See, I'm not really worried about the whole, you know, economy and political environment. I'll be dead soon, so it doesn't really matter. That's that's all on y'all now. Y'all deal with it. Anyway, uh, for the break, uh, just leaving off talking a little bit about the Federal Reserve and and the, and the the kind of the key point here is where do we kind of go to from here? And I thought this was interesting. One of the things that Mike alluded to a second ago was rental incomes, and we talked about that with, you know, in, in terms of inflation. But it was also a point that Jerome Powell brought up during his press conference. He said, um, the point at which rent inflation slows is still far away. He says, at some point, you'll see rents coming down. Now, this is a big driver of inflation. And again, we talked about this in a, just a second ago. 40% of the uh, inflation number is, is homeowners' equivalent rent. He's been dead wrong about rent. Ever since day one, because when he was when we were first talking about inflation, he was talking about it being transient and that homeowners equivalent rent wasn't rising. So, you know, there was this was just a transient inflation push and just roll through the economy pretty quick. He was wrong then and he's going to be wrong now, because if you actually take a look at the month over month change in the national rent index, it has now plunged by the most on record ever in a month. Um the national the national index fell by 0.7% over the course of october making the second straight month on a month over month decline and the largest single month dip in the history of the index going back to 2017 so that rental in, that rental inflation is about to hit cpi here pretty quick mike and um, you know we could see the fed having to start to change their tune quicker than they expect what were you about to say sorry Yes and no. So this was a really interesting part, if you can say interesting, of the Fed of uh, Jerome Powell's press conference. Someone asked him about rental income and there are signs that it's coming down quickly. And he fully acknowledged that. But he said, 
our preferred means of looking at inflation, PCE and CPI, are calculated differently. And what he went on to explain is that the rental income that you're talking about, mm -hmm. that 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 I look at, that is what people should be looking at, is the marginal change in rents. So if your rent got changed, you show up in that data. But if you just signed a lease six months ago, you're not going to show up. So it's just looking at the marginal changes. It's looking at a relatively small percent of the population who see their rents change every month or so, right? What he what he went on to say is that the the CPI and the PCI, what they're looking at is not just the marginal, but everyone. So hypothetically, let's say that your rent is is due. Your rent is coming up now this month. It 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 may still be up five percent. You know, two two months ago, you may have expected it to be up twenty percent, but it still may be up five percent from a year ago. So when you when you what he's saying is we're looking at the whole population of renters, not just those on the margin. Yeah, but that's and, but that's not the way no, the indexes I, work that he looks at. And was, so if you're though. talking about PCE and CPI and trim means and all that, it's not looking at individual month over month changes of rent. And that's, I mean, it's looking at the trend of the overall measure that's, of rent. It's right, not it's not the, a month to month change on no, individuals. It's not the marginal. The, the rent figures that you're quoting mm -hmm. that I look at that we all look at are marginal. How are just those rents that are coming due today changing? Whereas he's looking at the whole population of rents, many of which are not changing month to month. They change annually. So, so but, but his that's, view but again, is very I, myopic. But, right, yeah, but I don't agree with that statement because, again, he's looking at PCE. He's not looking at the entire population of rent, right? He may say that, but what he's looking at is right. trim mean PCE. That's their key measure for looking I, at I their it. inflation numbers. But here's the thing to think about, Lance. Yeah. When you measure rents, mm -hmm. only one-twelfth of them, in theory, you know, about one-twelfth of them change on any given month. So their number is muted by one, you know, by 11 twelfths versus something that's looking at just the marginal changes. 11 of the 12, you know, if we have an apartment building with 12 apartments and everyone's mm -hmm. lease comes up on us, everyone has their own individual month that comes up, yep. and we're looking at the income for that apartment, the rent's only going to go up or down on one twelfth of those. Uh, that's and right, but people. that's what the month over month change in the national rent index is telling you. It's telling right. you that for the month of October, yeah. rents fell for that one for that one twelfth of the rental index. Right, and, right for and the, the one twelfth. But what what Powell was saying yesterday is that they look at the twelve twelfths. So eleven of the twelve aren't changing, and that. That the, the nice thing is it smooths out data. The bad thing is that you don't you miss appreciate the, turns. the marginal changes. Yeah, you miss the turns. Then that's then that's the whole point of this is that, you know, he's looking at these annual rates of run, which right now, when you take a look at, you know, kind of the homeowner's equivalent rent, it's not showing any signs of peaking. But all the underlying data is already telling you that over the next four to five months, that data is going to peak very quickly. And, right. and and start to drop and the and the problem for the for Powell, which is why he was late hiking rates when he should have been hiking rates back in 2020, 2021, and he was late hiking rates, he's now going to be really late cutting rates. And you know and, and the problem is is that you're going to get forced into a position where you have to cut rates very rapidly because the economy's starting to come apart at the seams. That's the that's the the, the real risk here. And, and here's the most important thing for 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 our listeners to understand. The Fed doesn't know what they're doing. And 
<laughs> you know, I know that that sounds that sounds very crass, but go back to 2021 to mid 2021. This is when inflation was starting to tick up when we had just passed a second round of stimulus for COVID and the Fed was expecting year end 2023 Fed funds to be around half a percent. Right. Mm -hmm. They're going to be at five percent year end 2023. They missed the mark by four and a half percent. So if you think they know what they're doing, you know, let's just even say June of 2023 or December of 2023, rates could be at 5%, like he kind of alludes to, or four and a half. Rates could also be at half a percent or 2%. So, you know, it's a very, the, the economy is very dynamic. The financial markets are very dynamic and they change quickly and are extremely hard to measure accurately. You can't measure inflation. Everyone has different inflation. Mm -hmm. Everyone buys different things. You just can't measure it. The Fed will be proven wrong again. It's very, the Fed has rarely been proven right. If you look at their dot plots, where they think Fed funds rates are going to be versus where they actually were at turning points, they're often quite wrong. They're going to be wrong again. The only question is when and how long do they kind of keep up this hawkish, hawkish stick? Yeah. Well, and again, I think, uh, you know, again, you know, it's kind of interesting here because, you know, the Fed does have, you know, the Fed should be aware and they are aware that and they've even mentioned that there's this lag effect to these rate hikes. And so you've hiked now 75 basis points over the last four meetings. That's the most aggressive rate hiking campaign in history. And what history shows you is that every time you have these very aggressive rate hikes, you have a very aggressive rate cut uh, the following year. So, again, because they wind up breaking something and they have to turn around and, and reverse it. But it would seem to me just from, a, from you know, you could sit there and go, OK, look, I've hiked four times, 75 basis points. You pause here for a month or two. Inflation's not going to go screaming off to the moon just because you wait a couple of months to start letting some rate hikes catch up with the economy. Then you kind of reevaluate. It's kind of like you're speeding down the road. Take your foot off the gas a little bit. Curves coming up. You get around the curve and then you can speed up again if you need to start hiking rates. The, the problem is, is they're kind of like a bull in a china shop. Just I'm, I'm going to just keep hiking rates until I see the tree right in front of me. <laughs> and that's often why, to your point, they're always too late and wrong in their outcomes. Come back uh, again. I said we talk about how this is going to affect the market. What happens next? That's coming up right after the break. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. The end of the year is fast approaching. What will the new year bring? Join Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff, and Lance Roberts for our year-end economic review special event Tuesday, November 15th. How to address higher taxes in the new year. Should you delay your retirement in 2023? What will the midterm elections mean for markets? Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our year-end economic Economic Review special event with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show. So, 
Futures pointing down this morning. Uh, S&P's down about 32 points right now. Dow's down about 193. Um, so, again, just uh, getting a, a, a bit more pressure on stocks this morning following, um, you know, Powell's comments uh, late yesterday. Mark is kind of recalibrating for the kind of the risk off positioning now. And, and again, as we talked about at the beginning of the show, from a technical standpoint, markets were rallying nicely we had this four-week rally and now that appears to be over we broke the 50-day moving average we broke the 3800 support level uh, we're going to retest this morning that 20-day moving average if we close below that 20-day moving average then we're going to retest the lows of the markets here uh, that we've had over the last you know four weeks so again you know nothing really kind of great looking in the markets right now um, heading into the end of the year as we talked about next week we have midterm elections um, potentially some good news there for markets if we get gridlock, um, kind of start to slow down any potential threats of, you know, further, you know, kind of inflationary issues coming out of uh, Washington in terms of more checks to households and those type of things. Uh, of course, um, also, uh, you know, any type of new tax hikes or anything like that that might be negative for, for Wall Street, that'll at least get put on the sidelines. That could give the markets a little bit of a breather. Uh, heading into the end of the year, Lots of cash on books of, of mutual funds, hedge funds, et cetera, that have to get put back. So there's some reasons to expect this market could perform a little bit um, going into the, end of the year. Now, we're not talking about the return of the major bull market here, but, um, you know, the market is at risk now uh, because of the Fed yesterday of going lower here. So, Mike, just want to get your thoughts uh, on the markets and kind of positioning now with what the Fed said yesterday and, and kind of what the, the next steps might be. So just really short term, a couple of short term things. Yesterday, the market, like you said, just fell out of bed. The S&P was down about 90 or so. The VIX was basically unchanged. So the volatility index, which which kind of measures how scared investors are, was unchanged. And bonds were down slightly. They didn't get crushed. So that was just something noteworthy. Today, wake up in the morning. And one of the things I've been looking at over the last few months is not necessarily where stocks are opening up, but the dollar, the VIX, uh, gold, I've been looking at uh, bonds and they've all they all kind of tell a story together. They're all telling the same story. So this morning, the dollar's up about a buck and a half, the dollar index. That's has been a bad sign for stock markets and for bonds. Bonds are getting hit hard this morning. The VIX, though, is basically flat. It was up a little bit. And stocks are down, but not, you know, what are they down? 30, 30, S&P's mm -hmm. down 30 points, mm -hmm. less than a percent. So, uh, you know, I, I think the message is be cautious. Will we break the lows that we saw, uh, you know, a while back? Maybe. But, but I think we're more likely to stay in a range here. Maybe we've seen the top of that range, but we're likely to gravitate in a range. And... What I think really is going to matter are those key data points. Like you said, the, the election is a key data point. But I think investors at this point understand the Republicans are going to take enough seats to to win, to have a vote, to have a vote now. Mm -hmm. I, I think what what's going to equally matter is that round of CPI data, which also comes out next week. The uh, the prices components within all these different manufacturing surveys, the PCE data inflation data which will come out later in a month yeah employment, employment data on friday data. yeah uh, employment data this friday but i think more importantly than this friday mm -hmm. are the weekly jobless claims 
because that's probably where we're going to start to see some erosion in the labor market. Those start slowly upticking. So there's we have two inflation data points before year end, uh, just CPI and then PCE and all those surveys. And I think what could be really helpful for the market is if inflation really starts coming down. The the concern, however, is that it's going to take, you know, we talked about rent. There's other components, too, that just take a while to, inf to infiltrate into the official data. Mm -hmm. And the concern is this lag effect. And the concern is the Fed's going to break something. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting when you talk about jobless claims, you know, they've been exceptionally strong. But, you know, and, and it's interesting because, you know, you see these jobless claims exceptionally low levels and you're going, well, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the job market. But every day today, Morgan Stanley uh, planning to begin layoffs in the coming weeks as deal making slows, according to, you know, uh, Reuters um, right. Friday, Twitter's going to lay off half their workforce. Right. So. Well, Elon's going to lay off half of Twitter's workforce on Friday. That's like 3,700 jobs. Um, this Apple. is it's Apple. I mean, look, we've seen just you know kind of report after report after report. You know, first it was hiring freezes. Now it's it's talking about job cuts and, and terminations. But yet we're not seeing those jobless claims numbers turn up yet, which is is interesting because that suggest what that that suggests either one of two things. One is is that those numbers just haven't filtered through to the jobless claims numbers yet, and they're coming. Um, people are getting laid off, but they don't, you know, when somebody gets laid off from the work, they don't immediately run down to the jobless claims, you know, store and file their jobless claims. Uh, it's the unemployment office, not the jobless store. Claim store. <laughs> Just <laughs> joking. Uh, but they don't immediately do that. Sometimes it takes, you know, they, they get laid off, they're depressed or upset, whatever, and it takes them a couple of weeks. So it, it takes time for those layoffs to actually show up in the jobless claims numbers, or it suggests that people are just immediately getting a new job. And, they don't even have time to go. You know, there's so many jobs out there right now, and this is what the job opening survey would suggest: is that there's so many jobs available right now that if you get laid off from Twitter, you can get a job tomorrow at, you know, Etsy or Facebook or somebody else. But you know, Facebook and Google and others have all you know said, hey, we're not hiring any more people. Um, you know, Walmart, Target, others have all you know gone into kind of hiring freezes. So, I suspect that we're we're going to see those jobless claim numbers pick up here. Um, you know, in the next few weeks, and particularly as we move into particularly the, the new year. Yeah, Lance, the other thing is the how good is the data really? So it's one thing to say earlier, I said ADP was up, yeah. I think it was 226,000 jobs. Mm -hmm. That's a good number. And that compares well to the pre-pandemic years. And it's it's a great run rate. But if you look at the data, it's almost 100% travel and leisure. Right. Those are the lowest paying job, you know, the, some of the lowest paying jobs in our economy. They're also some of the most temporary jobs in our economy. Most of the other sectors were all plus or minus a little bit. So, so it's the quality of the data too. And if you're just focused on these key numbers and not diving underneath it, like, like CPI rental, that there's a lot more to the story and there is erosion in the economy. But the main headline data points, and those are the ones that the newspapers, the big media outlets report on, are not deteriorating. Mm -hmm. But there is a lot of deterioration underneath the surface, and eventually it will show up. And that's, you know, that's what we're going to keep looking out for, is not just what is the number, but how good is the number? Is, it, is there quality behind it, or is it really warning that there are 
that things are going to really decline quickly with a lot of this data, which in turn will get the Fed to start thinking about pausing and eventually pivoting. Pivoting's a way off, but at least pausing and seeing how much they have truly damaged they yeah. have caused. They well, don't know that. Yeah, yeah, I know, and that's and that's why it's like a you know you can have erosion underneath the surface of of a road for a long time. You know, you have right. you know water running underneath the road, and everything's fine. Everybody's traveling down the road; it's all great. And then one day there's a massive pothole right in the middle of the road, right, or a sinkhole. Um, you know, and that's what happens. It just it, it'll literally feel like in the economy that it happened overnight. It's like, oh my gosh, what happened? Right. You know, but uh, again, to your point, the data has been telling you this is, you know, the, the economy is slowing down. We're starting to see cracks in, in a lot of different facets. We're seeing it in the, in the earnings reports. We're, you know, we're seeing slowdown in sales. We're seeing a slowdown in earnings. Outlooks are deteriorating for these companies. And, you know, take right. a look at CEO confidence. It's at the lowest level since the financial crisis. And you've never had CEO confidence this low without having a spike in, uh, a spike in unemployment and a recession. So and again, not to even mention all the yield curve inversions that we've got going on, which is all telling you there's a problem economically. Right. And that's a huge point. Let's just look at earnings. Earnings per share are down a little, but the outlooks are horrendous. Mm -hmm. The outlooks are are where we're at now. The, The earnings are from from three, four months ago. These earnings are old news already. Right. Right. They're from July and August and September. They're from last summer when Fed funds were at least one percent, one and a half percent lower than they are today, when interest rates were much lower, when there were still people taking out mortgages. Mm -hmm. So so it's yes, the earnings are very important, but their outlooks are more important and their outlooks, by and large, not all of them are telling us that there's problems ahead. Just like all this data is telling us, this rental data is telling us there's a problem ahead. So it's not hard to see it, but it's not going to be just right in our faces. The media is not going to do a great job of reporting it because the headline data that everyone is so focused on is still good. But again, like you said, Lance, underneath the surface, it's deteriorating at pretty rapid pace. So I just uh, just a just to navigate away from that for just a second as we get ready to wrap up the show, I just saw an ad on television that SoFi, which is the uh, technology fintech company, they're now going to pay off a million dollars worth of student loans. So I just pulled up a quick chart. This stock was trading. <laughs> this stock was trading at a high of over $60 a share. Um you know, back in 2021, it's now trading at $6 a share. They have negative $387 million in income, and they're going to pay off a million dollars worth of student loans. Maybe you better focus on your own business <laughs> before right. you're paying off student loans for other people. Wow, what a disaster. Uh, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of disasters out there right now, <laughs> but there's a lot of, but, but with that comes a lot of opportunity. Yeah, that's absolutely right. All right. That wraps up the show for today. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Um, be sure and uh, get by the website. Mike's latest article is out on the website right now. Uh, realinvestmentadvice.com. Um, while you're there, also check out our daily commentary. We've got some comments today about the markets and the Fed. It's in our daily commentary that's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. And of course, if you have any questions or comments for me or Mike, be sure and send them. We're always happy to answer them. Realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow.